More than 150 federal employees donning orange T-shirts gather downtown to take a walk across the National Mall. The group celebrates the culmination of a government-wide effort aiming to help end hunger and promote healthier lifestyles across the U.S. The Fed's Wish event marks a total of 7.2 million pounds of food donations and counting toward the Agriculture Department's Fed's Feed Families initiative. We get more now from Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Fed's Feed Families is now in its 13th year, but the Fed's Wish walking event was the first of its kind for the food donation campaign. Nicole Wright is the Office of Personnel Management's Deputy Associate Director for Senior Executive Service and Performance Management and OPM's lead on the Fed's Wish event. We partnered with USDA mid-August. We collaborated on what could we do to sort of close out Fed's Feed Families, support the White House conference, and we talked, we thought about the health aspect of it. We said a walk would be great. And we sort of came together to think of what is the best way to sort of champion it, highlight it. And so, of course, hashtags, and we love our acronyms. And so Fed's Wish, Fed's Walk in Support of Health and Hunger Relief, came from those collaborations. And over the last few weeks, we've been coordinating with the U.S. Park Service. They have been really great in getting us the permits we need to be here today and really sort of championing through our FedSpeeds families, agency champions, our agency work-life coordinators to sort of highlight, spotlight the event and really encourage families, federal families, families across the country to come out and really support this effort. The event ended up drawing more than 150 federal employees to participate in the Fed's Wish walk down the National Mall. Here's right again. It's our first time, so across the mall, we hope to see a sea of orange that's walking on different parts of the mall. There's going to be music and water and some little doodads and giveaways to really help spotlight and market what we're doing. And then we'll decide, based on how successful it is this year, is this something we do to close out Fed's Feeds families every year? But the National Mall wasn't the only location for Fed's Wish. More than 500 federal employees across the country participated in the event. Here's OPM Director Kira Nahuja. You know, most of our workforce is outside of D.C. We say more than 80 percent, you know, across the country. So this is literally something we've been pushing that you can do in your own neighborhood. Just take dry goods, cans. You can walk them depending on how heavy they are or, you know, do your walk and then deliver those resources to food banks who are, you know, that are very much in need. And so I think it's just a reminder to not take our foot off the pedal. The Fed's Wish event was a combined effort from OPM and the Agriculture Department and part of the Fed's Feed Families Initiative, which launched in 2009. OPM originally ran the campaign, but USDA eventually took the reins, though the two agencies still partner on the effort. Oscar Gonzalez is USDA's Assistant Secretary for Administration. The Fed Feed Families effort has been an amazing partnership between OPM and USDA. I remember like it was yesterday when there was the baton passed from OPM overseeing the national effort onto USDA. I was at the table when that was negotiated and discussed, and OPM has lived up to its word to provide USDA support every step of the way. And it wasn't just USDA and OPM that showed up and did the work. The group of Fed's Wish participants came from plenty of different federal agencies. Here's Kira Nahuja. If you're from another agency other than OPM and USDA, can you, like, scream, raise your hand? (laughs) Where are you from? Energy. All right. Energy's in the house. Is that it? Any other agency? HUD. Very softly in the corner. HUD. FEMA. Awesome. 
The event is just one of many efforts from OPM, USDA, and others aiming to fundraise, donate to good causes, and even create community among federal employees. Here's Ahuja again. This is kind of in our DNA that we, of course, we've committed our careers to public service in the American public, and we have so many wonderful individuals in federal government. It doesn't just stop there. This Fed's wish, this walk, Fed's feeds families. Even within the CFC, you know, that is a major campaign that we've had for many years. I think it shows just the level of commitment and giving that is kind of just very indicative of of the federal workforce. And I, and I think it just gives us ways also to to bond, to create community. And I think here, why not mix it with a little bit of good exercise and wonderful weather that we're out here right now. After the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, the need for food contributions increased significantly. As a result, USDA ramped up its efforts for the Fed's Feed Families Initiative. Here's Gonzalez. You know, our day jobs, as you know, is to really just make sure that no communities or families are left behind. What we have found time and time again is that federal employees give give a piece of their, their check uh, in the case of the combined federal campaign and in the case of the Fed Feed Families efforts about, you know, donating perishable goods. We know that the situation across the country remains very dire. COVID really exposed uh, some of the gaps that exist with people who need to have a balanced diet or even food in, in general. During the summer is when food is the highest need. And what we experience is that food donations are at its lowest. So the Fed Feed Families campaign is now in its 13th year with USDA taking the lead. But it really is the uh, the rank and file, the civil servants across the USDA and for, for that matter uh, the federal family to make sure that we're doing whatever we can. There's also a larger effort from the Biden administration to end hunger and increase healthy eating and physical activity by 2030. The White House just held a conference on the topic, the first of its kind in 50 years. The Feds Feed Families campaign, a long-standing initiative, tries to support these goals for the administration. Here's Nicole Wright. It's been tradition for over 15 years. Uh, the federal government has supported federal families through our Fed Speeds Families Initiative. This year, to sort of close out the Fed Speeds Families Initiative, as well as support the White House Conference on Hunger, Health, and Nutrition, we thought about focusing on feeding families, fighting hunger, but also tackling fitness and making sure that there is a a fitness and health aspect. And so through this walk, we are trying to encourage families across the country to come out, walk, make a donation in support of feeding families across the country and trying to fight hunger and all of the efforts across the country to address hunger and, and hunger challenges. And there are more opportunities coming up for federal employees to give back. The combined federal campaign encompasses many of the ongoing efforts. Here's right again. Over the next few weeks, we will be spotlighting CFC and again encouraging families. They can support hunger through the CFC effort. And with CFC, we have agency events um, similar to Fed Sweets Families, the cutest pet contest. We have our food cook-offs. We have our baking events. And so we, we try to be innovative in the events we we utilize to promote CFC, Feds Feeds Families, Feds Wish. This year, Feds Feed Families has so far collected 7.2 million pounds of donated food. 
But Gonzalez says the campaign isn't over just yet. We also know how to incorporate a little friendly competition amongst the federal departments. And I got to give a shout out to the Department of Defense. Nobody comes close to what they're able to do in terms of overall food contributions. But we all as a federal family just don't lose sight of what we're trying to do today. To raise awareness, reminding not just federal employees, but their neighbors and others in the community about how they can play a role in donating uh, uh, food items. And the Fed Feed Families website will direct them on how to do so. Drew Friedman, Federal News Network. Check out Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. After an exemplary career as a former executive at the FBI, focused on policy and strategy, Sasha O'Connell, Ph.D., is guiding future federal leaders as the executive in residence in the School of Public Affairs at American University. Sasha joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss her exciting career, the future of the federal workforce, and the lessons she's learned along the way. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Sasha O'Connell. Sasha is an executive in residence in the Department of Justice, Law, and Criminology at the School of Public Affairs at American University and spent the majority of her career at the FBI and most recently as the organization's chief policy advisor, science and technology and the Section Chief of Office and Policy for the FBI's Deputy Director. Sasha, welcome. Jane, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Can you give us an example of someone early in your career that motivated you, and then and, and how did what did that look like? Sure, absolutely. So it sounds almost cliche, but it was the dining room table. So I grew up um, with a stepfather who spent 30 years at the Veterans Administration at the VA, and he talked at the dinner table. He started as a social worker and then sort of rose up into management, administration, and leadership. And his stories, right, and his approach really, really impacted me. My mom, interestingly, ended up in a career in public service. She was a prosecutor. She's currently a retired state superior court judge. Um, But she had a big career change also in her 40s. She went back to law school in her 40s. So getting all of that in the mix at a young age at the dinner table really, really impacted me um, in really specific ways. Yeah, that's amazing. My my father was part of um, the generation that took um, President Kennedy's call to action. And he took that to heart, and he went and worked at the Department of Interior and a number of other places in federal service. So it's, it's catching when, when you're around it. You've held a number of leadership roles at the FBI, which is historically a male-dominated organization. What skills or traits helped you most as you navigated that? It's such a, it's an interesting and challenging yeah. sort of situation and question. One, I don't think I still am reflecting on. I've been out of the FBI about six years, and I'm sort of still thinking about it. I think the bottom line was when I was there, and I really grew up there. Um, I didn't, I didn't know any different. I grew up with male cousins and brothers, and you know, it was sort of a continuation of, of my existence. So it did, you know, in retrospect, it, it was a really unique situation, but it didn't necessarily feel that way for me at the time. I think staying mission-focused, staying not about me, staying flexible in terms of problem-solving all helped me. I will say there's resources today that weren't there when I was there, or certainly when I was starting out. There's a lot of affinity groups for women in national security, women in federal law enforcement. And I will say I think I would have really benefited from access to those kind of resources as I was coming up. 
Um, I had both incredible mentors, men and women, um, women across the organization who I became very close with, who were incredible supports, not just getting the job and starting out, but sort of matriculating through. But again, I'm really sort of proud of and involved in some of the work of those external organizations that bring women across government, um, executive women in government, and those kind of organizations together, because I think it is really, really helpful um, as one moves through. Yeah, we we actually work with a, a number of those too, and and go to their events and conferences and support them because it's important. How has your leadership style developed or changed over the years? Well, I think I've gotten a little more confident in it. Right, the seeds were there at that dining room table. One thing um, that carried through that I learned from my stepdad was to focus on the process. He would talk at dinner about big ideas or big changes and how to get from here to there was part of his day job, and he thought about explicitly, was getting other people on board, getting that stakeholder engagement, getting other people to think it was their idea if that was required. And that's something I started out with as a gift, right, that kind of approach. And then I got confidence in that, and then I added things. I will say, as I moved on, my appreciation for taking care of is maybe the wrong word, but really focusing on the people who work with you and for you in some instances um, you know, making sure that they have what they need to be successful in a tactical way. But then also something I definitely learned at the FBI as I went along is, you know, the importance of creating an environment that is supportive and inspiring. You know, we joke about it, but food has played a pretty serious role um, in my leadership style over time. Um, I learned from great mentors. I worked with Bill Estevez at the FBI who had a full-scale cappuccino maker at his cubicle, right, and would host coffee hour, and you'd see the steam rising across the cubicles. Um, I worked with a, a great friend who used to carry hot frittatas for breakfast celebrations or on, the, on the metro, right, in one of those sort of coolie bags. Um, and so I've sort of, I think it's been additive in terms of learning, getting confidence in my approach, and then adding these pieces as I go that I've certainly learned from mentors and colleagues. And clearly you never let anything get in your way. You were mission-focused, as you mentioned, and you just got the job done no matter what was in front of you. Well, I wish, I wish, Jane, it was, it was that easy. I mean, I think we had a lot of success. Um, one thing has always been my approach when starting out as a leader, too, is to solve near-term problems. I always say sort of deliver short and then you can push them long, right? So we've, we don't always succeed in those long-term goals or those, you know, sort of blue-sky ideas as leaders we want to achieve. Um, but we deliver on those short-term pieces, right? And you get that buy-in from the stakeholders. And then often you can push toward those bigger dreams, hopes, aspirations, and goals. Um, I would like to say I was 100% on both fronts. <laughs> I'm not sure your characterization is 100% accurate there, but I'll take it um, in, this, in this sense. Looking back, what, what's one piece of advice you might have given your younger self when you first started? Yeah, it's, it's interesting today, too, working with students, I get that chance, right, to give my, essentially, my younger self um, advice every day. And one thing we talk a lot about, and I wish I had thought more explicitly about, is really, it's about calibration, right? And so I always think Emeril Lagasse would say, like, a stove has dials for a reason, right? It's not like all hot or all cold. And I think it's the same here. In some ways, in my career, I had to learn to tone it down, right? And to, you know, certainly at the FBI, sometimes you need to take that back seat at a meeting and wait to be invited to the table. And that's really the appropriate way to build rapport, relationships, and trust. Other times, I needed to learn to tune it up, right, to up the volume a little bit. Um, I had a wonderful boss, Dave Schlendorf, who we were in a meeting together with big bosses at the FBI once, and I was working for Dave. 
And we left the meeting and we were walking back to the office and I made a point. I don't even remember what the point was now. And he stopped in the hall and said, why didn't you say that in the meeting? You're not helping me, right? Telling me this now. Now I have to go back and fix this. And I realized, so, well, sometimes you have to tone it down. Sometimes you have to tone it up. And that modulation, that sort of volume control about when to lean in and out, if you will, um, that's, you know, even just thinking about that explicitly for folks starting out, I think is really helpful because it's not one size fits all. Right. I, I totally agree and understand that it isn't one size fits all. And a lot of leadership is described in bumper stickers, sayings, and I don't think that's realistic. I think it's situationally dependent, and you have to be self-aware and aware of your circumstances to adjust. That's well said. You're training the next generation, or helping to train them, federal leaders through AU's School of Public Affairs. How, how do we encourage, how do you encourage young people to answer the call of federal service? You know, I'm so lucky at AU. We, we draw in, right, students who are primed for this um, and who are passionate when they walk in our doors. Even with that population, you know, there are headwinds, right? USA Jobs, right? Just even getting educated, these pieces. So, so helping with that is a whole set of work. I'm also really passionate about, as you point out, reaching out to a diversity of folks who haven't even thought about these careers as careers. I had a conversation with a young woman the other day, and she was talking about law school. It's, I'm, I'm fully supportive of law school. And I said, have you ever thought about a career in, in federal service? And she said, uh, isn't that for old people? I said, uh, <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, I mean, there's an education to do, right? Clearly, she's never seen the softball leagues, you know, down on the mall or kickball or any of the fun we all have in town where we certainly did when we were younger. But I, I really try, again, podcasts like this and other venues to put myself out there and really talk about what it's like, the opportunities I had at the FBI to be in the middle of the mission space and to explain that the federal government needs all kinds of skills, right? And diversity of thought, right, and diversity of people. So so there's that sort of working with the group that's primed for us, and we need to help them get over those barriers, get in and then stay, and stay um, engaged and passionate. And then there's reaching those new audiences. And there's a lot of work both places, but it's a lot of fun to work with young folks who are passionate about it. So I'm really lucky in my current job. And career civil service is a great path if somebody wants to take it. Our board is 100% SES-level career civil servants. They are all dedicated. They have a real passion for what they're doing. They could go work anywhere, but they choose federal service. And there's no place, I always tell young folks who ask me about it, there's no place you're going to get the level of responsibility quickly as you do in federal service, right? And, and yes, yeah, sometimes things move slow. It's supposed to move slow, right? We talk about the reasons for that, too. But there's, there's really no other industry, maybe some startups you might get this experience, but really where you can be in the middle of mission space, whether you're passionate about the environment or national security or health care, you know, public health, and you're going to get in there quickly, um, and you're going to get in the mix and get exposure, experience, and opportunity for impact that's really unlike any other career. Perfect. Well, thank you, Sasha, and thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Shane Canfield, and this has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. Talk to you next time. 
Reconnect with a carpool or vanpool. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others that live and work near or at the same place as you. Prefer taking the bus or train? There's never been a better time to reconnect with transit. Plus, you have the added comfort of knowing Guaranteed Ride Home is there for any unexpected emergency for free. For more options, visit commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. Some restrictions apply. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 